Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Amen. Word of God for our meditation this meeting, this evening is our, uh, is the reading that was already, uh, read, that was printed in your bulletin, John 18, verses 4 through 11. Dear fellow disciples of Christ, of course it was Peter. Of the four gospel accounts that record what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane on Maundy Thursday, Only John identifies Peter as the disciple who grabbed his sword and slashed off the right ear of the high priest's servant. But if uh, John would have omitted that little detail, if the disciple who was responsible would have gone unnamed in all four Gospels, if you had been left to guess the identity of the guilty party, is it possible that your initial reaction would have been, hmm, you know, that kind of sounds like something Peter would have done. No, Simon Peter was, was one of the Lord's first and closest followers. Because he so often took the lead, Peter had also taken on the unofficial role of leader among the disciples, and that it's not necessarily a bad thing. When Jesus asked the twelve who they thought he was, Peter was the one who confessed, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus approached his disciples by walking on water in the middle of the night, Peter was the only one to jump out of the boat to meet him. And as we read earlier this evening in the Passion History, in the upper room, after Jesus predicted that all the disciples would abandon him, Peter was the first to pledge that he would rather die than disown his Savior. But there were other occasions when Peter's react-before-you-think attitude did not serve him so well. Almost immediately after Peter made his beautiful confession of faith, when his master began to explain the suffering and death that lay ahead of him, Peter took Jesus aside and tried to convince him that going to Jerusalem and dying on a cross, well, simply could not be part of the Messiah's mission, and that he just shouldn't talk that way about such things. Do you remember how Jesus responded to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Peter was tempting Jesus by suggesting that there was a way to save us that did not involve the cross, a way that was not in line with the Father's perfect will and the mission he had given his Son. Did Peter ever forget this stinging rebuke? Probably not. Did he fully understand it? Not at the time. It was not until Pentecost that he truly comprehended what Christ's mission was and had to be. And that means that on this night, in the dark and shadows of Gethsemane, and with the sudden arrival of a deadly threat, Peter once again 
responded like someone who saw only glory in Christ's future. It's just that this time he engaged with a blade instead of his tongue. Now, we know why Jesus' enemies came to the garden. They hated him. They were armed with swords and clubs because they expected their enemies, Jesus and the disciples, to think and behave the way they did and put up a fight. Jesus, though, did not resist. Ten of the disciples did not resist, though I suspect that was more from fear and surprise than principle. But Peter drew his sword, acting more like his master's enemies in that moment than like his master. Sure, he was motivated by love, not hate, love for Jesus. Perhaps he was also eager to show how serious he had been when he had said that he would give up his life for Jesus. Peter was full of what he undoubtedly believed was a righteous zeal. But soon enough, his master would rebuke him again, and he would see that his zeal was as misguided as the zeal of the mob was hateful. Now, of course, you and I love Jesus too. So we also get upset, even angry, when we feel that our Savior or His glory is somehow threatened. When He is insulted or His word is ignored or ridiculed, we want to do something to to defend or protect Him. Those can be good and, and godly impulses, but they can also take us too far, as they did with Peter. Even we, who, who know all of Christ's story and mission, can easily end up acting rashly and sinfully with hands of misguided zeal. You know, there, there's something else that happened that night that only John reports, something that clears up any confusion about who was in control of the situation in the garden. And it makes even more clear how messed up Peter's thinking was, if he was thinking at all, when he drew out his sword and attacked. Now Jesus, knowing that Judas and the mob were coming, could very easily have slipped away in the dark. He didn't. And when they arrived, he could have tried to escape or just been belligerent with them. But no. Instead, Jesus went out to meet them. And as was so often the case, he already knew the answer to the question that he posed to them, but he asked it to make a point. Who are you looking for? they were going to have to own up to what they were doing and be clear in their minds and in public about what they wanted, which was to get rid of Jesus. His enemies had wanted this for years and and tried and failed on numerous occasions, but on this night, they would succeed. 
but not because they now had a better plan or the force of numbers. It was because, and only because, Christ's time had come. So Jesus declared, I am he. And then what happened? Did the soldiers immediately rush at him, bind him, and lead him back into the city? Not quite. What actually happened was totally unexpected, and it demonstrated Christ's divine power and authority. It showed that he was not submitting to them because he had to, but because he chose to. So when Jesus announced that he was the man they were looking for, they backed away and then toppled like bowling pins. Just like that. But he wasn't finished quite yet. Even though he was outnumbered, he was the one giving orders. Though he would have had every right to defend himself, he was more concerned about his followers. He made good on his promise to protect his own, and he told those who came for him, if you are looking for me, let these men go. And Peter, well, he was right there, wasn't he? He had seen it all, the, the mob forced to fall down before Jesus, the, the way they gave in to his terms, everything. But instead of following his master's lead and cooperating, and instead of leaving safely and in peace, an eager and unsatisfied Peter took matters into his own hands. Without any provocation or warning, he drew his sword and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. So what was Peter thinking? Were, were his actions just pure instinct and emotion? Or did he actually think? Maybe he saw his friend in trouble, considered his options, and, and drew his sword, truly believing that he was coming to the rescue as the Messiah's defender. Surely there's nothing wrong with, with wanting to help a friend, except that Jesus did not need or want any help from Peter. As true God, omniscient and omnipotent, he knew everything and could do anything. And Peter should have considered that Jesus had good reason not to resist arrest. Peter sinned by assaulting another human being, but his decision to strike out with his sword was only a symptom of a much more fundamental problem. By deciding that he needed to do something to help his Lord, Peter not only failed to understand what was going on, he demonstrated a lack of trust in God. Now, is Peter the only believer ever to act with such misguided zeal? Hardly. The violence, the, the breaking of the fifth commandment, is not so common, though the crusades and bombing of abortion clinics comes to mind. But doubting God's wisdom, plan, and power, that's something that you and I can relate to. 
Because our sinful nature loves to lead us into that trap, thinking that there is something that I need to do to help God. The country's an immoral mess, so it's up to us to put the right people in office or all will be lost. Preaching law and gospel from the pure word of God just just isn't bringing or keeping the people in our church. We'd better try something different like those guys because there's nothing else to do. Just let me do this thing or, or that thing, Lord, and I'll get everything fixed right up. Just you wait and see. You see the problem in the pronouns and in the mirror. You don't have to hold a sword in your hands to identify with Peter. It's probably not very hard to remember times in your life when your thinking was similarly misguided. Yes, God wants good things for nations, churches, and Christians. He even wants Christians to be filled with godly zeal. But before we put our faith into practice, He wants us to put our trust in Him. He wants us to make God's Word and will our guide. And we need to understand how quickly things can go sideways when we don't. So Jesus reprimanded Peter. Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup my Father has given me? Why was Jesus so severe? His friend had good intentions? Well, the unprovoked assault was bad enough. But what particularly prompted this rebuke was the reality of what was at stake. Jesus understood that there is only one way for sins to be forgiven and only one path that leads to heaven. The fulfillment of God the Father's plan for the world's salvation required that His Son be arrested that night and executed the next day. It would involve pain, humiliation, torture, and death on the cross. But Jesus willingly took that cup of suffering into his hands and drained it to the dregs to demonstrate how much he loved his misguided disciple and how much he loves you, me, and every other misguided sinner. Now, we've mentioned that in his gospel, John gives us some unique details about what happened in the garden that night. But one thing he does not tell us is what happened to the man that Peter struck with his sword, Malchus. The gospel of Luke reports that Jesus reached out his hand and touched the servant's ear and healed him. This was Jesus' last miracle before his crucifixion. But why this? Why did he heal this man's ear? Why was he so eager to help his enemy? Because that is who Jesus is. Because that is what Jesus does. 
Jesus came into this world to seek and to save lost sinners, and no one was ever more lost than his enemies. The Lord is full of compassion, love, and mercy, which explains why, not many hours after he healed Malchus, Jesus reached out his hands one last time. He stretched out his hands on the cross to redeem us from our sins. And he achieved the goal that Satan, his enemies, and even Peter had tried to keep him from. He gave himself as the sacrifice that saved the world from its sins. He showed a grace-guided zeal that took him to the cross and brought him out from the tomb. Now, all that he won for us is ours to hold with the hands of faith. We are redeemed, forgiven, and given eternal life in heaven because Jesus drank the cup his Father gave him. Amen. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, both soul and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.